Go ahead and draw our attention to the Word of God. And so Mark Owens is going to be reading for us this morning. And so Mark, if you'd come up. And church, if you would, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Um, we're going to be reading verses 9 through 12. And if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word as we begin this morning. Mark, I'll turn it over to you. Good morning, friends. Reading from Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 12. And so from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Thank you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Church, pray with me. Fathers, we come to your word this morning and we read this prayer that Paul wrote to the people in Colossae so many years ago. Um, Father, it's a prayer we pray this morning. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would Help us to be filled with the knowledge of your will this morning. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we as your people in this day, in this age, at this time, with endurance and strength, might walk in a manner that is worthy of you, in a manner that is fully pleasing to you, in a manner that, that allows us to bear fruit in the good works in which you've called us to, increasing in the knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of who you are, in our lives. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Father, we give thanks to you. For you have qualified us to share in this amazing inheritance. So Father, we pray these things. We ask that you would do these things for us in this day in the same way that Paul prayed faithfully that you would do these things in the hearts of the people in Colossae so many years ago. May you be faithful to answer and to hear us this morning. And so, Lord, I ask and I pray that you would be with us, that you would guide us and lead us in these things and in this way today. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, we're going to answer into a few weeks where we're going to be in this particular text in the, in the book of Colossians, uh, in this first chapter, uh, really the first 12 verses of, the, of Colossians. And we're not going to get very far this morning. I'm just going to tell you right off, off the, the front end here. We're not going to get very far this morning because there's so much in terms of like where the whole book of Colossians goes and what Paul is trying to see happen that's kind of given to us in this prayer. And we need to understand what Paul's actually praying for as we go on. And one of the first things we need to do is start with the whole concept and idea of, of prayer and what's actually happening there with Paul and with the people there in Colossae. And so, like I said, we're not going to get very far, but I think there's some deeply profound things for us and really some beautiful things for us as his people in this text for us to be mindful of. Now, here's what I want to start off with. I want you to imagine 
Uh, somebody, and I would assume that everybody in this room has somebody in their life that they would think is a spiritual giant, or maybe it's somebody in ancient church history, somebody you read a lot of, a books that you read a lot of, or somebody that you just really highly respect. So maybe that's Irenaeus, or Tertullian, or C.H. Spurgeon, or C.S. Lewis, or maybe it's somebody more contemporary like a David Platt, or a John Stott, or somebody that you just really respect, and you read a lot of their things, and, and, and you kind of gain a lot of spiritual wisdom and knowledge from them. Here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine tomorrow when you go to work or whatever it is that you do on a day in and day out basis, you open up your emails and you get an email from that person to you. And it's not spam, right? It's not spam. It's a real email. And that person says, hey, I've heard of your faith. Imagine what that would do for you. Wait, wait. You've heard of my faith in little old Wichita, Kansas, Podunk, Wichita, Kansas, me here, you've heard of my faith. And then can you pray and just imagine that you continue to read in that email that this person, this giant of the faith, then goes, I've heard of your faith. And since I've heard of your faith, I've not ceased to pray for you. How many of you would be encouraged by that? How many of you had just your mouth would probably drop open and you'd be like, you got to be kidding me. And you start telling everybody like, so-and-so emailed me and he's praying for me. I didn't even know he knew I existed. This is what's happening in Colossians. Paul, everybody knew who Paul was in the early church at this time, because as the gospel has gone out into Mesopotamia, Paul is writing letters, and those letters are being circulated, and Paul and Peter, these are the, the kind of the pillars of the church, and the people in Colossae, they get this letter, they open it up, and that's what they hear from Paul. Hey, I've heard of you. And since I've heard of you, like I have not ceased to pray for you. A people that Paul has never met. A people that he will likely never meet. And Paul is dedicating himself to pray for them. To pray for them. If you want to doubt the power of prayer, ask yourself, why would Paul do this? Well, here's the thing. Paul doesn't doubt the power of prayer. Paul believes in the power of prayer, and he believes that even though he may never meet the Colossians, the people there in Colossae, even though he may never know them, he believes that he's a part of their story, and he is stepping into the power of prayer on their behalf. And I would call us today to see that and ask the question, are we willing to do that in this day and this age? And here's the thing, as we jump into the topic of prayer, prayer, it's not just a topic for us to talk about. It's something that we can just employ or words that we can just simply say. No, no, church, I want us to walk away understanding prayer is a calling we have. I think it's a calling that many of us miss in our lives. It's a calling that many of us, we we see as a part of our Christian life, but not as a fundamental, foundational part of our Christian life. Prayer is a calling, and we as his people have a call to prayer. Maybe a better way for us to say this is it's a call to commune with God. A call to commune with God. I don't know if you've ever had that person in your life, you just want to be with them all the time. You just want to be with them. It's not that you want to say certain things all the time, but you want to be in their presence. Even just sitting next to a fire in silence is better than being away from them. 
I think uh, some of you have been married for really long periods of time. It's like you know what that feels like. You just like you're, you're one flesh. It's like you just want to commune with that person and talk to them. And, and without them, like you just don't know what life would be like. This is the kind of thing that God is inviting us into as his people. He wants us to be communing with him. Again, they're not just words that we speak. It is an avenue to be with the almighty God. Think about that. It is an avenue that he's given to us to be in his presence, to be with the almighty God. Friends, God has purposed for his son to be tortured and killed upon a cross to open up the door to his presence for you and for me. Jesus' blood makes us right so that we can be reconciled to God. His blood makes you and me blameless before the Father. Don't miss that. Like when you have, as, if you've put your faith in Jesus, when you pray to the Father, your voice is being heard the same way Jesus' voice is being heard. Like, that, that's beautiful. That's amazing. It's not just, again, to, to speak, but to be in the presence. God is drawing us together, reconciling us to be together with him. Him who is the very one who made this universe. He knows the stars, every name of the stars in the heavens. And he knows yours, and he knows mine, and he wants to commune with us as his people. Prayer is a calling. Prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a way in which we join with the living God in his work in us and in this world. Prayer changes us, it shapes us, it connects us to God. It is not meant to be something that we utilize only when we need something. It is something we're to utilize as a part of our lives. It is a call for us for so many reasons. But you know, and it's also something that we just, and it sounds really simplistic, but it's really important. It's also something we just ought to do. And that sounds strange. We just ought to do it. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells his disciples a parable. And to make sure that they didn't miss the point, that we don't miss the point, Luke tells us the reason why Jesus writes this parable or says this parable. Look what he says in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he, being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You see that word ought we know prayer is a command, but it's also just something we ought to do. It's something we need to do, something that we should want to do. Years ago, I had somebody come into my office. It was a counseling situation, and he was sharing with us, with me, just uh, some challenges within his marriage and some difficulties that they were having in his marriage. And, and in, as we kind of shared and talked, I said, hey, okay, here's some biblical wisdom of you, some things that you as a husband just ought to be doing in your marriage. Now, they weren't specific commands, but they were just things that he ought to do. It's what a good husband ought to do for a wife. And, and we were talking, and he was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. He went away, came back a few weeks later uh, in kind of another time for us together through counsel. And I was like, okay, I was excited to hear, like, how's your marriage? How are things going? And he's like, you know what? It's worse. Things haven't gotten any better. And I was like, what? Like, how come? Like, did you do some of the things that I said you should be doing that you ought to be doing as a husband? And he goes, well, no. Isn't that us sometimes? Like we, I, I really do believe that many of us, we, we want to live a certain kind of life. 
And we want to walk closely with Jesus. We want to be in his will. We want to see God do mighty things. We, we want to see his hand move in a lot of different ways. And yet we fail to do one of the very things he's given to us that we ought to do to see those things happen. Even in this text, what often we'll do is we'll wait until we've already lost heart. We don't see prayer as a means to avoid losing heart. We wait until the heart's gone and we're in chaos and crisis and then we come to the Lord and we're like, okay, Jesus now help me. Jesus is telling us if we really want to follow him, we ought to always pray and not lose heart. I don't know if you've ever had a friend that you haven't seen for a really, really long time and you get together in that space and as you start to talk, like at first it feels kind of awkward it feels a little bit forced. It feels a little strange. And after a while, it picks back up again. And like you start to feel real natural again. And it's just like right there, you, you get connected again. Here's what I think is often happened to us in that space, is we can kind of come to the Lord in a similar way. Where we don't talk to Him. We don't engage with Him. And then suddenly something happens and we come to him and we feel like it's unnatural and it's awkward. And instead of pushing through that unnaturalness and that awkwardness, we just go, well, I guess I'm just going to be done. And we walk away. Jesus doesn't want this for us. This is something we should do and live in all the time. It ought to be part of our lives. But it's not only something that we ought to do, church, I want us to understand that as his people, this is also part of our God-given, God-glorifying, God-exalting roles. It's part of your role. It's part of my role. Do you know what a priest's role was within the, the temple time of the Old Testament? Now, they had a lot of different functions, but one of the things that priests were there to do was to intercede on behalf of the people. And so uh, oftentimes, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that the priests are interceding on behalf of the people when they sin. They're interceding on behalf of the people when they grumble. They intercede on behalf of the people when they're seeking blessing of God upon the people of Israel. Like, this is what the priests were to do. Now, we, as the people of God, now have a high priest. That's what that Hebrews tells us. That Jesus, our high priest, sits at the throne, and he's always interceding for you and for me. Now just think about how awesome that is. Jesus is interceding for you, and he's interceding for me as our high priest. But you know what? He's also called you and me to be priests. This is part of our role. You and me are priests. In fact, we're not just priests. We're royal priests. Look at this text, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That in and of itself is awesome. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, with access to God, he has said that part of your role and mine is to function as a priest, to come to him on behalf of others. If we refuse to fulfill this, you know that it can actually be considered sin. Samuel was a priest in the Old Testament. And Samuel recognized this as part of his calling uh, in regards to even the king of the day who was Saul. Listen to what Samuel says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord, sin against Yahweh. 
by ceasing to pray for you, Saul. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Samuel was a priest, and Samuel understood his role was to not just speak to Saul and to tell Saul things and to tell him the prophecies of God, but his role was to pray for Saul. And when he considered the option of not praying for Saul, he says, far be it from me to sin against who? God. Not Saul, to sin against God. Because he was neglecting his role as a priest. Are we neglecting our role as a priest? As priests, royal priests. And listen, I know we cannot pray for everyone. But here's the question. On whose behalf are you called to function as a priest in love for them? Who are you functioning as a priest for? Paul is doing it for the people of Colossae. He doesn't even know them. And he's still functioning as a priest on their behalf. He's going to the Lord. Are you doing that for anybody? Not only is prayer a call for us, but this is also a way in which we struggle together. Are we struggling together? I was recently flying home from Washington, D.C. after a conference, and the conference was on reaching the unreached and and how we as churches can engage in that. And as I was flying home, I, I just realized that I think a lot of times as Christians, our lives can begin to feel flat because it, in reality, what they're only focused on is our lives, our day-to-day lives, what happens within our little spheres and our little worlds. And while that's not bad and that's important, we are part of so much more, church. We are a part of a cosmic movement of one kingdom, the kingdom of God, pressing against a far weaker kingdom, the one of darkness and of the enemy. We're a part of that movement. We, we simply don't struggle oftentimes beyond what's happening in our moments and in our little worlds. We don't see that the things that are happening in Afghanistan are part of our story. We don't see that the things that are happening in North Korea are part of our story. We don't see the things that are happening in the schools down the street are part of our story. At Urban Preparatory Academy, they're part of your story. We don't see that. We're only focused tunnel vision upon our little things. And so often this is what happens is our life begins to become very flat. But church, we are part of something far bigger than our own little individual stories. Families, mothers, fathers, I'd ask you this question. Are your kids watching you participate in a worldwide struggle for the kingdom of God? Or do they see you focused on your things? See, prayer draws us in. It lets us participate in something that is far bigger than us. And it matters because you're calling to the most powerful being in the universe to have effect on the things that are going on in this world. And part of the reason that Paul is praying for these people is because Epaphras was praying for these people. Look at Colossians chapter 4. We haven't got there, but this is encouraging. Epaphras, who is one of you, A servant of Christ Jesus greets you. And what is Epaphras doing? Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras sees and recognizes that the things that's happening in the spiritual lives of the people, his people in Colossae, 
that's something he should be struggling for. He should be struggling with them in that effort to grow in maturity, to grow in their understanding of God's will, to grow in their faithfulness and obedience. In Romans chapter 15, verse 30, Paul appeals to Christians in Rome to strive, to struggle together with him from thousands of miles away. Which means that when Paul saw fruit from his ministry, they were part of that fruit bearing because they were struggling with him. Paul is calling them to participate with him as he struggles with and for Christ. And again, are we struggling with others? Are we struggling with others? Here's a couple of things that I just want you to jot down, some things that we should be struggling for with other believers. One, we should be struggling for God's will to be known. Just be real clear what that means. For God's will to be accomplished, for God's will to be understood, for God's will to be worked out. We understand this in the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in Wichita as it is in heaven. Your will be done in the life of this person as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Are we struggling together, asking that God's will would be done in the lives of our brothers and sisters locally, around the world, within our own families? It is, let me just ask this, is it God's will for kids to be trafficked in Thailand? Is it God's will that that women in Afghanistan are pushed down and beaten down to have very little to no value within that community? Is it God's will for three billion people to live outside of the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ? Is Is it God's will for these things? I mean, on one hand, you could say nothing happens outside of God's will, but we know that God says he's not, he doesn't desire that any should perish. He doesn't like these things. He didn't make the world to have these things. They're a result of sin and fallenness. And he says to come to him and say, my will be done. My kingdom come. He may even be calling us to be an answer to that. Are we struggling For God's will to be known. See, if we believe that God cares, and we believe that he promises to listen to us, and we believe that he will actually listen to us, and he will actually move, because his heart is for his will to be known, and then we believe all of that stuff, and we aren't praying, and we aren't praying, then either our vision for our lives is way too small, or we simply don't care that his will is not being done. Which is it? Our vision for our lives is too small, or we just don't care? See, he's calling us to care. He's calling us to participate. He's calling us to struggle together for his will to be known. He's also calling us specifically to struggle for his people, for God's people. This is what Paul is doing as he prays for the people in Colossae. They're parts of his family. They're parts of his body. When they succeed, he succeeds. When they laugh, he laughs. When they mourn, he mourns. They're one flesh with him in many ways. He sees them as one kingdom people. Now here's the thing. Again, very practically, if you say, I want to pray more for people, but what do I pray for? Here's a list of some things that we can be praying for consistently for God's people. One, 
faith. Do you want faith to increase in your loved ones, in the people of God? Are you praying that their faith would increase? Are you praying for conviction of sin? Are you asking that God would reveal conviction of, uh, of sin in their lives? That he would show them where they're falling short? It's easy to get mad at a brother or sister because their sin. Are you praying that God would reveal them to them their sin so that they might find repentance and confess that? Are you laboring, struggling on behalf of your brother and sister who's sinning against you that they might experience conviction of that sin? Are you praying for healing? Are you praying for healing? Do you believe that God can actually heal a broken body? If we do, why aren't we praying for it? See, I'll just be honest with you. Like, There's times, because oftentimes I don't do it as much as I should, even this weekend, sitting beside the the bed of a woman who has cancer, and I was praying, and I felt the doubt in me. This is hopeless. God is the God over cancer. He can touch that body and cancer can go away. If we believe that he can raise this woman from the dead and give her a body that will never have cancer again, why can't he just take it away? Are you praying for people that they would be healed with expectation that he will heal? Are you praying that people would find rest in Christ? Are you praying for people to have the knowledge of God's will in their lives so they would know what God is calling them to? Are you praying that they would do those things in the power of the Spirit of God? Are you struggling that your brothers and sisters would have boldness to share their faith? What about hope? Are you struggling that they would have hope in the midst of difficult things? Are we struggling for God's people in prayer, as priests, loving them well? Just again, a practical thing that I think is really helpful, at least it is for me, in terms of prayer. Uh, I learned a long time ago that if I just sit down and say, okay, now it's time for me to pray, that I start to pray, and then before long, I'm like thinking about mowing the lawn. Anybody else? Like if you don't have any structure, you just find your mind wander off, and then you're like, oh, Uh, whoops, I have to get up now, right? Or go about my business. So here's just a little bit of a structure that I think can help us. If you sit down and pray, think in terms of concentric circles. Many of you have probably seen something like this before, but start with that closest circle. Spend time praying for yourself, praying for your kids, for your spouse, for your close friend, for the people you're sharing the gospel with, the people you know that don't know Jesus, that you're working towards. Start there. And and just pray through that. List them out. Write them down. Be consistent. Don't just pray once and then move on. And then as the time goes, move to kind of that bigger circle, that broader circle. Pray for your spiritual family. Are you praying for the pastors of this church, the elders of this church, on a regular basis? That God would speak to us and lead? Are you praying for your church? Look around this room. These are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. We're supposed to be all moving to the same goals. Are you praying for this church to be faithful and to bear fruit? Are you praying for missionaries, acquaintances, people that maybe you don't know yet, but you want to share the gospel with? Maybe you see the person that's at your restaurant and you go, man, I want to share Jesus with them. Pray for them. So expand your circle. Again, do it again. Then pray for other things. Pray for other churches. This can be hard sometimes, can't it? 
But pray for other churches. Pray for cultural issues. Pray for the nation. Pray for the unreached. Pray for different disasters. Don't pray for the disasters to come. Pray for people in the midst of those. I want to be clear about that. Um, but that's not what we're asking for. Um, but, but you grow your circle out. This just helps give us structure as we pray that we can kind of pray out towards not just our own village and our own little worlds, but to the people that are around us. It helps broaden our understanding of what God has called us to. So just a, a little specific thing. Next, we need to not only struggle for God's people, we also need to struggle for God's favor. Are you praying his blessing and his favor over your kids, over your spouse, over your grandkids? For the people that, you, that don't know Jesus, are you praying that God would give them favor and an opportunity that might allow you to then have and share the gospel with them? Did you know that good gift is from God? Are you praying for God's favor in the lives of people? And here's what's amazing with this is we step into these things then part of what God is inviting us into is not only to see his hand move in a lot of mighty ways, but he's also then leading us into the ability and the opportunity where we can then rejoice in thanksgiving. So we have this call to prayer. As we do that, we enter into that calling and we struggle with together as the people of God. Then we have the opportunity to rejoice in thanksgiving. See, as Paul is led to pray for the people of Colossae, as he and Epaphras strive and struggle with them and for them. And this story that they recognize is way beyond them for a king that they all serve, for a father that they all love. When Paul and Epaphras are brought into a place of then being able to rejoice in God's work in them. Rejoice in God's work in them. Here's something I find. Most often, not always, but most often, I think our rejoicing is restricted to when things go good for us. It's really easy to rejoice when things go good for us or our close members of our family. But are you able to rejoice with the people that are down the road, across the pond, serving as the kingdom? Are you able to rejoice in the things that God is doing See, this is what he's calling us to. Church, there's so much more. There's such a greater opportunity for us as we pray for others, as we labor and pray for a prayer for others, and for God's will and glory, we will be entering into the possibility of truly being thankful and rejoicing in more than what just happens to us. We can rejoice in the things that God is doing. This is what he's entering into. Some things that we can begin to be thankful for. We can begin to be thankful for fruit in other people's lives. When we see grace extended, we can rejoice. When we see love granted, we can rejoice. When we see Christ glorified, we can rejoice. The gospel going forward, we get to thank God for hearing and moving. We get to rejoice in the furthering of his kingdom. God is calling us into not only participation of his sufferings, but also into his joy, into the fullness of his joy. And here's what I want to hear you say. That's what I want us to hear. If we never pray and we never struggle together, when will you be able to rejoice for God's miraculous fruit being born in the lives of others? You're going to miss it. 
So you can just stay in your own world thinking about yourself and ourselves and our own worlds. And when things happen, we can kind of rejoice in them as if we're watching something else take place. But it's a whole different ball game when you're actually, for example, on the field playing the game and you're part of that work. Then you get to rejoice that God answered your prayers. When was the last time you prayed for someone for a year and then you saw fruit born in their lives and you got to say, God, thank you. Thank you for doing that work in them. This is what he's calling us to. We also have the opportunity to then rejoice in the thanksgiving, the evidence of his hand moving. Um, When I was uh, during one of our uh, missions experiences years ago, uh, we were actually in a, a city in uh, southern France, and we were handing out Bibles to Muslims in that city, uh, Jesus films and New Testaments in their languages. And this was about the third time I had been in, in this city doing this work and had a team there and was actually leading a team. And when we were there getting our assignments for a day, I, I remember they said, hey, Darren, you're going to be taking your team to this little section of the city. And as soon as I heard the name, I went, oh, no. And the reason I went, oh no, is because I'd been to that section of the city just one year prior. And for two hours, we stood on the street of that city a year prior to that, trying to hand out Bibles to people. And you know what we experienced? I literally experienced, I got spit on, I got pushed. I watched the Bible get taken out of my hand and thrown in the trash can. We saw a guy yell at us and cuss at us, walk 10 feet down the road, drop his pants at us. Like, it was awful. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had on any mission trip. Like, it was, just, it was just awful. Didn't hand out one Bible in two hours. And I was like, can you give that assignment to someone else? Because I, I don't really want to take my team into this. Like, this is brutal. But we did. We said, okay. But you know what we knew? We knew that if God was going to do something, he had to do something. This is a heavily Muslim part of the town, the city. And we were like, okay, God, if you're going to do something, you have to do something. And so on the whole way there, I was like, okay, team, we've got to be praying. We've got to be asking that God will open up hearts. We've got to be asking for strength and endurance as we encourage, the, as we go through this. Guys, we believe God can do something miraculous. And so even if one Bible gets out, God will be glorified. And so we went and we kind of broke up into different places and before we started to hand out the Bibles, uh, we stood in those carts and we prayed, God, would you please just open up hearts? We want to see you work. And I'm not kidding. I turned around from that prayer and there was this little girl. She was probably seven. And she was staying there asking, this little Muslim girl. She was like, Bible? And her mom was staying over here and she had a baby and I was like, can I give her a Bible? And the mom was like, yeah, can we have two? And so I gave her two Bibles. And in the next 15 minutes, we could not as a team keep Bibles in our hands. Like we would grab them and they were gone. Like from Muslim people who are supposed to hate it. We got rid of like 200 Bibles in 15 minutes in an area I didn't want to go. You know what I got to do? I got to rejoice in God's hand, not ours. This is what he's calling us into. 
See, if we're not praying and we're not part of these things and we're not going to the Lord asking God to do miraculous things, then we are being robbed of the opportunity to rejoice in thanksgiving when He extends His arm. This is our role. That's what He's called us into, church. We have the privilege and the opportunity to rejoice in thanksgiving. We are part of the work. We're part of the work. And this is the type of thing that could happen every single day if we just entered into what God has for us. Will we? Lastly, we can rejoice and give thanks for hope. I don't know what circumstance you find yourself in. I don't know what the people in your life are going through or the people that you know are going through or what God might call you to strive with and for and to But here's what I do know. We have hope. Do you want to know why we have hope? We have hope because of what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. You know, we're righteous not because of you, but you're righteous because of Jesus. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, here's the thing. We can rejoice in all things because the ears of the living God are attentive to our prayers. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's ears are open to you? He wants to commune with you in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your joy, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the good times. His ear is open to you because of Jesus. This is amazing. You have hope, no matter what's going on, that the living God hears you. That should be something that should drive us to rejoice and drive us to thanksgiving and drive us to prayer. So many of our lives are not defined by rejoicing in hope because we don't believe this. We might believe it intellectually, but we don't believe it in practice. And I am guilty of it all the time. He wants us to believe it in practice and to walk it. And I pray that this actually drives us, drives us to prayer. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for the next few minutes. We're going to pray as the people of God in this space, believing that God's ears are open to us. And so here in the next few minutes, I'm going to lead us in some prayer. But before we do this, I don't want you to miss this part of 1 Peter 3.12. He says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's another scripture in in the word of God that says that if if we cherish sin in our hearts, that he won't hear our prayers. I'm not not talking about your salvation. I'm just saying that that's a, a pretty consistent theme throughout scripture. And so before we come to prayer, like we can't come to prayer before we spend time confessing. And so here I want to just open us up to just take a moment of silence that the Lord would examine our hearts. And if there is any wicked way in us in this morning, like I would encourage you to lay that before the Lord. 
to lay it down before the Lord uh, and, and, and to know that he's then going to give forgiveness for that sin, that because of Jesus Christ, he, he will forgive that sin. But I want us, before we come to prayer, to just be still and let him examine us and then confess those things before the Lord. I, I had a brother give me a book recently, and I've started reading that book, and, and one of the things that it says there is this, that a sinning man will stop praying and a praying man will stop sinning. Here's what's amazing with that. I think so often what happens is the reason why a sinning man stops praying is because we begin to feel like God doesn't want to listen to me. I just want to assure you this morning that if that's you this morning, you're like, I, I'm, I don't want to pray because I don't feel like God wants to hear me because I screwed up again. I did the same thing that I've done 500 times because I fail again and again and again and again. No, no. You're listening to the enemy tell you to distance yourself from the king when the king says, come to me. And so in the next couple of moments of just stillness and silence, I just want to encourage you to go before the Lord and confess that sin to him. And say, God, I, I don't feel worthy. And hear him say, you're not. But I made you worthy. God, I don't feel like I'm good enough. Hear him say, you're not but I made you blameless through the blood of my son. And confess those things before the Lord, and then we're gonna to pray together as God's people. So just bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, in the next few moments for us, I pray that you would examine our hearts and see if there is any wicked way within us. And Father, if there is, convict our hearts that our sin is against you and you alone. And may we confess that to you now in specific ways, repenting of our sin. Father, we are grateful for your grace and your mercy. It is never ending. Your steadfast love is always with us. Now, as we continue in our prayers, I pray that you would open your ears to us. I pray that you would hear our cries.